Welcome to How's the Market Podcast. You know, this is another resource from Keeping Current Matters where we give you the information you need to be the expert for the clients that you serve. And this week, we have got a treat for you. We get to sit down with housing market expert, Rick Sharga. Now, if you followed KCM, you know that we quote Rick. Rick has really been an expert in the business for many, many years, talking about a lot of different topics. And and today, Rick and I are gonna get into several different things. One, I don't think there's a better expert in the country on the topic of foreclosures, and Rick is going to break down what's happened, where we're at today, and really give you a couple of pieces to speak well to the foreclosure situation. He's gonna talk about inventory, he's gonna talk about investors, but ultimately, talk about what is uh you know the opportunity in today's market so let's hop in rick i'm excited to have the conversation today thanks for making time to uh to join us here on how's the market podcast well you know i'm a big kcm fan dave so anytime anytime i can jump in i'm happy to do it well we're grateful for that and grateful for all the work you do and you know listen if you're a kcm follower member uh that's listening you've heard us quote rick sharga uh, and to have the conversation today, have the chance to just spend a few minutes together. Uh, I am grateful and grateful for you making time. So Rick, give folks a, um, you know, short synopsis of your experience. Cause maybe somebody, you know, has read something that you've done, seen something you posted, seen an article that you were quoted in, um, but give people uh, just a sense of your background. Yeah. I spent the last 25 years in the real estate mortgage industries uh, I came in in a niche part of the market. I, I was a, a VP of marketing for a company called Realty Track uh, back around 1999 or so. Yeah. And uh, Realty Track published then the largest database of foreclosure information in the country. So my, my baptism uh, by fire in the real estate industry right. was learning all about foreclosures. And uh, after that, I, I went to work for a company called Carrington Mortgage Holdings, uh, which uh, as it sounds, as a mortgage company, but also as a real estate brokerage, uh, title company, uh, uh, asset management uh, business. Uh, spent about five years as the chief marketing officer uh, at Auction.com and 10X, uh, and then uh, went to work for Realty Track's parent company, a uh, company called Adam Data Solutions. So I've been uh, in and around, you know, real estate data, mortgage data for again about the last quarter century which makes me old. Um, and, uh, and now I'm, I'm running a little market intelligence uh, consultancy for real estate and mortgage companies where I work with, uh, with a variety of different data to help companies either run their businesses or to, to take their own data out into the market yeah. uh, and, and promote their offerings. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you giving that background because you've got a wealth of experience in, uh, in the business and been around it a while, been around data, been around, you know, the mortgage side, the real estate side. When I, I, I'll be interested in your your reaction to this. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I always, when I think of Rick Sharga, I think of foreclosures, not in yeah. a in a bad way, but 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 you know, you certainly your time at Adam, uh, you know, you, your handle on what's happened in that market, uh, second to none, and I, and I mean that as is a is a compliment. I think about yeah. that your your analysis of it over the years and coming out of what we knew in the great financial yeah. crisis and the challenge there to even to today keeping agents well, I, I actually do appreciate that dave uh my my pastor used to refer to me as dr doom and gloom uh <laughs> back back during the the great sure. financial crisis uh but I, I got into that part of the business kind of accidentally i i had tried to tee up the company's ceo as a spokesperson to talk about what was going on in the industry 
And and candidly, he kind of crashed and burned and didn't really enjoy that role. So he asked me to take it on. And we happened to be publishing a foreclosure report when the foreclosure crisis hit. Wow. And we were really the only company in the country that was willing to talk about it because everybody else was inside the mortgage industry. And and it kind of painted their their clientele in a bad light to be foreclosing on 10 million people. Right. So so I, I, I started out by talking about what was going on in foreclosures. That led to talking about what was going on in mortgages. That led to talking about what was going on in broader real estate. And so for the last... You know, 20 years or so, I've, I've really spent a lot of time talking to the press, going out, speaking at industry events and digging deeper and deeper into the data that that kind of supports what's what's going on in the marketplace. Yeah. What do you see? You know, you've you know what we do as KCM and you've you've followed us and we've been proponents that, you know, certainly this market is not what 2008 uh, no. was. And I think that's even been um you know that that drum's been beaten in our business, and most people listening probably get that. But but many consumers still don't know that they're not in our business and, and shouldn't know it. How do you, given your expertise, give you that? Give me just a state of the market relative to foreclosures. What are you seeing? You, you know, what what are you sort of? How do you answer that when people say, "Hey, Rick, what's going on with foreclosures right now?" What's going on with foreclosures is almost nothing. Uh, right, is, is, is the answer. Um, right, in a normal but some year, of the why behind that, yeah, some of the is, you know, yeah, we, we can talk about that. Some people, some people point to the government uh, intervention during COVID, and think that's the real reason we're not seeing much in the way of foreclosures. The government had a moratorium sure. on foreclosure activity for two years. It had a forbearance program where people didn't have to pay their mortgage for for in some cases three years, um, and that that certainly dipped foreclosure numbers to artificial lows. But but the fact of the matter is, it's really the strength of the economy and the, the quality of the loans that were issued over the last 10 years that's been keeping foreclosure activity low. So in a normal year, uh, about one to one and a half percent of, of mortgages, of mortgage loans, are in some stage of foreclosure. Uh, right now, it's just over a half a percent. Wow. Uh, and and typically, there's a pretty strong correlation between unemployment rates and mortgage delinquency rates. Uh, and and if you the most recent unemployment numbers are about three point seven percent. And if you look at mortgage delinquencies, they're at about three point six percent. So. Uh, the, the fact that we have low unemployment, we have we've had strong wage growth. It, the the lenders have taken most of the risk out of the the, the loans they write. We're not seeing any more of these goofy loans that right. They're out of the system and crisis. So I I don't see I, it, we're we're not even back to 2019 levels of foreclosure activity, and that year didn't happen to be a particularly strong year in terms of foreclosures either. So yeah, I, I mean we, we see a foreclosure wave anywhere. We've on the published horizon. the quarterly numbers and and do yep. that you know as KCM and we kind of highlight the moratorium years and you see the clear trend down. Yep. Here's a question from your perspective. Do you see that more as a um, a byproduct of the economy we're in? You know, certainly when people have jobs and things like that. The economy is growing. Uh, there would be less default. I I, I think there's uh, you know truth to that. But the other fact is the underwriting standards that dramatically change that produce a better product. Like wh- which one of those contributes more to the lower uh, you know number of foreclosures? <sighs> 
They both they both do, which isn't the answer you wanted because it's not a good soundbite. But I hear you. Um, but the the, the fact historically, the the stronger the economy, the lower the the lower the number of foreclosures. So that has a, a huge factor all by itself. You layer on top of that the fact that lenders have taken virtually all of the risk out of the the loans that they were writing. Uh, they're mostly writing thirty year fixed rate conventional loans to highly qualified borrowers. Uh, and and that that drops those numbers down even further. So it's really a combination of those two things. And the other thing that the factors in this cycle that's very very different than where we were ten years ago is there's 31 trillion dollars of homeowner equity out there. Uh, in fact, even among borrowers in foreclosure, about 90 percent of borrowers in foreclosure have at least 20 percent equity in their homes. Yeah. So yeah. they're zealously protecting that equity. Uh, if, if you look at consumer loan patterns right now, credit card delinquencies are up, consumer loan delinquencies are up, auto loan delinquencies are up, mortgage delinquencies are down. Yeah. So borrowers who do own a, a home are, are being very, very protective of that equity. They, Don't they you think gathered. part of that is a byproduct of 2008 to say we're going to do it differently? I, I'm not sure if it's a byproduct or if it's if it's a reversal. The the running gag back in 2008, we saw auto loan delinquencies very low, but we saw foreclosure uh, rates and mortgage delinquencies very high. And right. the running gag back then was uh, people were, were paying their car loan and not their mortgage because you could sleep in your car, but you couldn't drive your house to work. Right. Um, and, and about a third of all homeowners back then were actually underwater on their loans. So walking away from a home that you owed $50,000 more on than it was worth wasn't as traumatic a decision as walking away from $50,000 in equity. So yeah. I, I think it's a very different market dynamic that we're dealing with right now. That's one of the reasons borrowers are being so uh, diligent yeah. about making payments. Well, no, I appreciate your background in that. Listen, I, I told you this is, this is what I think of you uh, in this topic, and I don't want to you know, we're sort of having this conversation as a matter of fact conversation. Anybody that's going through uh, a default or or going through any type of distress sale or, you know, whatever the case is, I feel for them. And I, I don't want that for them. And to your point, hopefully if that, you know, uh, somebody that was going through that, hopefully they have equity where they didn't back in 2008 and, and can sell their home. And, you know, pay a commission, put a little bit of money in their pocket and being in a different situation than what they were back, you know, when people did strategic defaults and walked away. But I appreciate hey, your I'm, background. I'm, I'm glad that. you brought that up because I think that's an important opportunity for your 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 agents. Uh, and and I, I, I think, you know, agents can do well while they're doing good in this circumstance. A lot of borrowers, when they get that first foreclosure notice, Think, think it's game over. Uh, they yeah. don't realize they have options. And an agent who can explain to them how much equity they have in their house, how to protect that equity, uh, that we're in a market where supply still is, is far under demand, um, it gives that, that homeowner, that financially distressed homeowner, an opportunity to execute a much better outcome than losing everything to a foreclosure auction. I mean, you're, yeah. you're sitting on fifty, dollars $100,000 in equity. You're not going to get that after the proceeds of the auction, uh, but but an agent who can, you know, uh, who can guide that distressed borrower through the process, explain what the options are, uh, can can help that borrower at at the same time they're getting themselves a listing and, and earning a commission. So it's yeah. one of those rare win win opportunities in the marketplace, 
And I, I'd really encourage agents to be looking at, at their local markets, looking for those borrowers in the very early stages of foreclosure uh, and, and target them as people that they can help uh, by, by, by doing what they do best. If somebody's listening and they say, I want to help people, and that's really, that, that's, uh, that's an area we can help today mm-hmm. and literally help somebody in what could be one of the most tragic times in their lives, how, how would they get that information? There, there are there are websites that offer subscription services. Um, the, the one I used to work for is, is called Realty Track. Obviously, there's another one called uh, Foreclosure Radar. Um, and and if you just do a search for foreclosure listings online, you'll find a number of those. Zillow actually has a lot of this foreclosure information for free. You just have to dig into the site a little bit. Uh, but but the other thing the other thing you can do is is you know talk to your local title agents. Uh, a lot of those title yeah. agents will have information on the default properties, uh, the defaulted loans, uh, and, and can get, get access for you. So you have to do a little bit of homework. You might have to spend a little bit of money uh, to, to, to get um, you know, current records and, and timely access, but the information is all public record. It's available, so, so you can get it if you want it. Yeah. Now, I appreciate you sharing that. What's the, what's the future uh, for this segment of our business? Are we... Is this the world that we're going to live in for a while? Do you see them rising? What's your what's We're your seeing outlook? foreclosure starts. The, the first legal notice that somebody gets get start to get closer to pre-pandemic levels. So as, as you know, cost of living has been high, inflation is high. If we see unemployment go up a little bit, we'll probably see that go up a little bit. But there are, are, there are so many protections now for borrowers who find themselves yeah. uh, delinquent that we're just not, I don't think we're going to get back to pre-pandemic levels of foreclosure activity for at least another year. And because of all the equity out there, you know, there are agents who used to specialize in what they call REO sales. And those are right. those are sales of properties that the bank has repossessed. And and those are off by about 75% from pre-pandemic levels. So that, right. that amount of equity out there is just going to keep the REO pool very, very, very sure. low for at least the next well, couple it, of years. Well, you talk about your realty track days and back during the great financial crisis, that was a strategy for many agents to become That was That was the REO only strategy agent. if you wanted to play well, that's because a good point. lenders yeah. repossessed almost all the properties. But today... Yeah. Um, Today, about 63% of distressed property sales are properties in, in that pre-foreclosure phase. Uh, it, so fewer properties getting to auction. The properties that do get to auction are being sold to investors at, at very high rates. There's just not much left for the banks to repossess. So the yeah. REO strategy is not a good one for this yeah. particular housing cycle. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. Back in in that time, I worked for the number one lender uh, or number one holder of distressed assets at the time. Um, and, and I am grateful we're not there yeah, you know, we, as, we as all, an industry, as, um, as, uh, for folks bad, and, uh, yeah. you know, Rick, you've, for everybody. It was bad. Yeah, you've done a and, phenomenal and job. Really, of, even, even the lenders lose money on a foreclosure. Yeah, so nobody it's not, really it's not what they want, that. right? It's, it's, it's bad all around. Everybody loses. Thank you for all the work that you've done in that. Cause I know you have kept the industry. You have kept professionals up to date as much as you can. You brought the truth in it. Uh, you know, certainly the the comparison to, to 2008 and told the, told the story of that because there are a lot of people, consumers sometimes that think I'm going to wait for this flood of yeah. foreclosures to come to market. And that's just not, not going to happen as far as we see it. Certainly, if you have a different opinion, you know, I, I would want to hear it. But um, but I appreciate the work you've done in this area. Well, that's very kind of you. No, I, I, I do not have a different opinion. I, I don't see a foreclosure tsunami 
anywhere on the horizon. Um, and and similarly, and, and I, I, you know, we've we've traded notes about some of the, these things in the past, but I also don't see a, a home price crash coming. And yeah, you know, yeah a right. People, right. A lot of people probably waiting breathlessly. Well, you'd, for you'd that. have it's, to make the case for it if you did, right? Certainly yeah. not coming from just you know distressed properties and foreclosure. But but let's let's talk about that for a minute. The issue that props prices up now, you talk about a crash, is lack of inventory. You know, I've always said there aren't enough homes right now for the number of people that want to buy them. That's been the case, certainly appears to be the case for the foreseeable future. What's your perspective right now on uh, inventory, where we sit? What, I mean, the hard question, uh, I'll give it to you, Rick, is, you know, what is the solution, if any, to to the inventory crisis that we face as a as a industry and as a country? I'll give you the world's most boring answer to that question, Dave. The solution, the answer is time. Yeah, it's just going to take time. We're we're not going to build our way out of this mess quickly because we're dealing with about a decade of underbuilding on the part of the of the new home builders, and and it just they're not going to get out over their skis this time and overbuild. Uh, just just to have the market catch up. Um, in fact, to a certain extent, scarcity works to their benefit because that can allow them to maximize prices. So we're, we're probably sitting on about a three-month supply of, of existing homes. Uh, normal market, we'd be sitting on six. Uh, if you want to go back to the Great, great Recession again, uh, right before the market crashed, we were sitting on a 13-month supply of homes, so about twice what the market could absorb. And that's one of the reasons that we had a, an overhang of supply, and that's one of the reasons prices fell. So we're, we're still short supply. Um, new home supply is roughly where it, it normally is. It's at about a six to seven month supply. But but again, the builders aren't going to to overbuild in order to to make up for uh, for, for for past underbuilding. So the the theory, I guess, when mortgage rates doubled last year was that home prices would fall and that would make homes more affordable, but it would also slow down uh, the, the contribution that housing was making to inflation. I think a lot of people don't realize that about a third of the, the government's inflation number is housing costs. Uh, so with home prices going up 20% a year and rental rates going up 15% a year, it was contributing to inflation. And, and we did see Home prices come down. Um, they, they didn't necessarily drop in most markets, but the, the rate of appreciation declined very rapidly. And according to NAR, we actually went negative uh, for a couple months, year-over-year uh, yeah. year basis. But in June, uh, rates the, the prices rebounded and started to come back up. And the most recent numbers I've seen from Case Schiller are a 5% year-over-year increase from the right. FHFA, a 6.1% year-over-year increase. So I, ironically, what the Federal Reserve has done uh, is has has caused mortgage rates to get so high uh, that that homeowners simply can't afford to sell their properties. So even though demand has declined because of affordability, supply has declined even further. Right. And what that means is that the properties that are on the market, you have people bidding against each other to buy, and that's driving prices back up a little bit. So. Uh, just just kind of kind of goes to show you that that in the in the broader world of the the U.S. economy, it's not an exact science there either. Um, and it, it right. looks like there's been a bit of an overcorrection. Well, I, you bring up several good points, and the, the fact that we're sitting here at the end of the year, mm -hmm. uh, we'll see. You know, when it all comes out in the wash, four or five percent 
price appreciation annually. A couple of months that right. month over month, you know, was flat, declining. But at the end of last year, that certainly was not the message, right? We're sitting in a in a in a, in a world where um, the assumption was people rates would go up. People would say we're not going to buy, and and a lot of people would list their homes, and and that mm-hmm. didn't happen. People said well, we're not going to to do that. It's it's very interesting, you know, to think about the consumer aspect of that, right? right. And in, in in retrospect, it makes sense, right? If you, if you have two and three quarters on a thirty year fixed or three percent or whatever the then there's an overwhelming majority of people that sit in that position in this country. Why would you? Why 70, would you 70% of, of homeowners with a mortgage have an interest rate of 4% or less. If that borrower sells their house and buys a new one at exactly the same price for the house they, as, as the house they just sold, they double their monthly mortgage payments. Now, yeah. I, I don't know about you. I know your, your boss is a good guy. I don't think he's paying you twice what you you made last year. Right. Uh, most of us aren't in that boat, and 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 so it it's it's not a question of I don't want to sell my house and take on a new mortgage. The math doesn't work. People simply can't afford to do it. And yeah, I yeah. think I don't think any of us assumed that mortgage rates would get as high as eight percent this year. Uh, most of us thought the market would peak at around seven percent, and then gradually go down. And and that 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 looked like how it was going to play out until the bond markets went a little bit crazy and and, and rates went back up. So it it you know that that supply demand imbalance is is really what's driving prices. Um, and and the only properties, not the only properties, the majority of properties going on the market today are from homeowners who, for one reason or another, need to sell. Uh, divorce, yeah. job loss, death in the family, uh, or on the more positive side, maybe marriage or, or new kids. Right, life uh, events. Or a new job. But, but it tends to be people who need to sell rather than, than want to sell. And I don't see inventory of existing homes coming back in a meaningful way until mortgage rates probably get down into the mid to low fives. And that yeah. probably won't happen for another 18 months. Yeah, let's talk about. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective as we sit uh, into this year, beginning. Somebody might even be listening to this, you know, if it, it when it, it comes out uh, a couple weeks after it, and we're in the new year, you know, in twenty twenty four. Tell me the path that you see the market taking in twenty twenty four from from things that you're watching, things that you're seeing uh, relative to to the housing market. We've had two very abnormal years in terms of home sales. Um, last year, January was the, the the month with the highest number of existing home sales, and every month after that, we sold fewer homes. Talking and about we twenty two, in twenty two, and in twenty three, we would have had the same thing, except January was a particularly weak month. But if you go from February through uh, October sales, which are the most recent ones available right now, every month we we saw a decline from the month yeah. before. And in fact, October was the 26th month in a row where we've seen fewer home sales than the year before. So there's there's been a kind of disturbing trend. And, and we've lost the spring and summer selling seasons for the last two years, uh, which, which are usually times of year when home sales go up. Uh, what I'm anticipating for 2024, um, I, I can best describe as boring. Um, I, I think what we're going to see is a, a very, mar- I think we've bottomed out in terms of existing home sales. I, I think we'll finish this year probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.7 to 3.8 million uh, right. annual sales. 
Uh, and that's way below what I'd forecast. I had forecast about 4.3 million, but, but market conditions changed. So I think we'll see a, a bit of an increase next year. And I think we might get back to a more typical seasonal trend. We, we might see a, a stronger spring and summer because I do believe mortgage rates have peaked. Uh, we've seen them come down in recent weeks. I think in January, they might actually break down below 7% and, and just gradually uh, gradually come down over the course of the year. So uh, I think we end next year with uh, a slightly higher number of existing home sales than we had this year. And I think prices will go up a little bit, probably no more than, than a couple percent. But uh, for people looking for, for price declines, I, I don't think nationally that's right. the case. We, we probably should point out, you and I are, are, are talking about national numbers right now, and there's really no such thing as a national real estate market. Right. And, and I know you, you help your agents with, with a lot of local market data as well. It's really important to understand what's going on in your market as opposed to what's going on nationally. So if you're sure. in yeah, yeah. if you're in San Jose or Seattle or Austin, you're probably seeing prices down year over year. Yeah. Uh, if if you're in in Knoxville or Gainesville or or Indiana, uh, Indianapolis, you're probably seeing prices go up year over year. So we're, yeah. it's it's been a very localized market correction over the last yeah. 12 to 18 well, months. No doubt, you know, we we, we we've called the last 12 to 18 months ago, this bifurcated market and different yep. things going on where we came through 2020 and 2021, where it was, you know, wherever you were, homes were going up in value and the very, uh, very much the same. I want to go back to what you said, because it's, I, I think it's good news for people that are listening, whether you're a lender, whether you're a title rep, whether you're an agent, somebody that follows KCM. And I would say everything that you have said is what we see out in the market. So, what we try to do is scan what's everybody saying, give agents, you know, hey, this is everybody's forecasting rates or home sales. And I want to recap that, that good news that in mortgage rates, it appears right now that we may have peaked. That's, mm -hmm. that's good news, right? That, for those borrowing. It, it, as we look at forecasts, that certainly aligns with that. As we look at forecasts, uh, forecasts for um, home sales, we see a forecast showing more home sales, not dramatically more, but, right. but, but maybe in the range of uh, 10% more, maybe 20% more next year. And certainly that's supported by, by most uh, forecasters. And we see forecasts of moderate appreciation, not depreciation, which, oh, by the way, is a good thing yep. for the housing market, not, not five or 10%. And you, you brought up the, there's less appreciation in the market and, and we should be, you know, I want to say excited about that because the more appreciation, the, the unhealthier the market is, if we're honest, you know, um, there, well, some, as you said, some appreciation is good. Too much appreciation is not good. Yeah. Uh, and, and we just, we, we're in very unusual times because of what's gone on with mortgage rates. So what really facilitated that huge increase in home prices over, over a couple of years was the fact that mortgage rates were at historic lows. They were at two and a half, three percent, right. you know, numbers we'd never seen before. And that's created, in retrospect, that's created this rate lock phenomenon we have now with people being able to afford to sell their house because of the, the difference in the mortgage payments. Um, so we've never had that happen before where rates have gotten so low that when they returned to normal levels, people were, were stuck in their house and they couldn't sell it. And and that's that's really what we're looking at right now. So. The, what's going to happen is one of two things. Um, 
we're either going to see home prices deflate dramatically or mortgage rates crater uh, or wage growth go up exponentially and, and, and that'll make it possible for people to afford to buy houses or, and I think this is the more likely scenario, we go through a two or three year period where the market just takes its time resetting to these new normal levels. And so what it means is, you know, slow but steady decline in mortgage rates, probably back down into the fives uh, and, and slowing home price appreciation. Uh, below the rate of inflation, probably, uh, and a very tiny increase in home sales each year for the next couple of years until this feels more like the new normal and, right. and people people get more actively engaged in the market again. Don't you think, though, Rick, in, in talking about the new normal, essentially in that scenario, we're entering a, a normal yeah. market right now. We're actually seeing signs that, that the market is poised for recovery. But, but to your point and, and something I said earlier, I think it's, um, it's a slow recovery. It's not, yeah. a, it's not a, an all-encompassing recovery. The other thing we didn't talk about really is you, you talk about bifurcated markets. The market's bifurcated in a number of ways. One is, is certainly geographically. Um, another is price tiers. Uh, right, if, if you're right. looking at entry level or mid level prices, those are still going up. It's it's the high end of the market that's struggling a little bit from a pricing perspective right now. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very different from where we were a couple of years ago. The other bifurcation is new homes versus existing homes. Uh, yeah, and, and I do think we will see an increase in new home sales next year. I, I think the builders will bring more inventory to market, not necessarily right. a lot more, but more. Uh, they're going to close this year out probably with around 675,000 sales, yep. uh, which is, again, higher than most people forecast. I wouldn't be surprised to see that number go up over seven, maybe to 750 next year. Um, and, and right now, the median price of a new home is very close to the median price of an existing home. Mm -hmm. And the builders are bringing in thousands of dollars to closing. Uh, in order to pay down mortgage rates, I was right. uh, speak, speaking. They're to the ones that have yeah. won in this market, right? Who really have thought have. about how how do we help the buyer afford this? How do we start to sort of tweak what we're doing uh, to to help navigate the market? Well, new home median the median price of a new home is down eighteen percent from peak. Uh, as we speak, the, the, we, we talked earlier about the price of an existing home being up five to six percent year over year. So, so that's a pretty clear contrast. And yeah. you, you add to that, I was speaking to a group in Denver uh, not too long ago, and I saw a local builder advertising 30 year fixed rate loans on their properties of 4.9 percent. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, why would you even look at an existing home if the price is about the same and the mortgage rates two to three points lower? Yeah. Uh, and and so builders have had that advantage, whether it's because they control their own financing, uh, or it's because they're instead of reducing the price of a home, uh, they're they're coming in with thirty thousand dollars to pay down the the mortgage rates, and and so they've been able to do that and still maintain their 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 profit margins. Most real estate agents know what's happening. Good agents understand what's happening, but great agents, they can explain what's happening. At Keeping Current Matters, we help real estate agents become experts. With market insights and marketing tools, you'll not only stand out, you'll thrive in any market. Keeping Current Matters, be the expert. What's your outlook right now for the first time home buyer and 
you know, sort of that, that part of the market feels like the biggest struggle anywhere. There's not a market right now. They go, you know what? We've got a ton of that product and we're ready to go. What's, what happens to that? It's not what, what, what was around 10 or 20 years ago. You have, you have two countervailing forces at play here, Dave. Um, One is that our normal move up market is stuck because the homeowners can't trade up. Right. So that keeps inventory off the market and, and it also keeps those repeat buyers off the market. So theoretically, we should have more first time buyers as a percentage just because the move up buyers can't move. The countervailing force there is that everything's so expensive and, and, and there are low down payment loans available if down payment is the big issue. But if you look at home prices and interest rates, you get a low down payment loan, your monthly mortgage payment's going to be through the roof. So it, it's a tough market for first-time buyers, and, and I, I, I don't see a lot of relief. But what I do see, and this is mostly anecdotal, uh, I can't give you great data on this, but what I do see anecdotally is more first-time buyers buying more expensive houses than they used to. So they're waiting mm-hmm. longer. Yeah, they're a little older when they're when they're buying that first house, but they're yeah. they're plunking money down on a much more expensive property that would have typically been a move up buy, or or they're even looking at at, at some of those new homes uh, as as their well. It, I think you're absolutely right, and it's more than anecdotal. And I'll tell you where it, it comes out at um, the buyer seller generational trends report that NAR publishes every year. Exactly says yeah. that it shows the average. Uh, first-time home buyer, and and, and that that's going up in age. So I think it it, it exactly aligns with. What you're there's there's still a, a a demand. There's still a demographically driven demand curve that that will provide a huge tailwind uh, to to the housing market. We we have yeah. a ton of millennials that uh, you know the largest cohort now between the ages of 29 and 34, I believe, 29 and 35. Right. Peak, peak home buying peak years. Peak home buying years, and they haven't been able to buy. Uh, wh- one of the opportunities this is presented, by the way, uh, is is opportunities for people that own rental properties. Uh, if, if you're mm-hmm. dealing with somebody who's ready to buy a house but can't because of affordability issues, they'd probably rather rent a house than rent an apartment, and all things being equal. They, they may have yeah. a family. They may yeah, want to right. move into a school district area. Uh, that where they just can't afford to buy right now. And I saw some research from John Burns, um, John Burns research that said at, at 7% mortgage rates, about 21 million potential buyers basically got sidelined because they simply couldn't afford to buy a house at those mortgage rates. So uh, I think rental demand uh, be- becomes a, a factor at play for the next couple of years and, until these things normalize yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love all the work that John Perch does. We had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. John's great. Um, he's, they do such a great job. Let's let's keep talking about this because it's you're bringing in a very interesting um, topic on riddles, which is investors, you know, um, how they are uh, responding, what they're doing in this market. Certainly in the last couple of years, if you're an investor, if you're flipping, um, you, you've you've done that. What's the what's the status uh, of you know just the investor um, sort of posture right now um, in, in real estate that you see? So I've I've actually been doing some uh, real estate investor research for a um, a private lender called RCN Capital. Uh, do a quarterly yeah. survey, and and investors are remarkably optimistic about the future. 
Um, what's interesting is that the fix and flip investors seem to be a little bit more optimistic than the rental property investors do. Okay. Uh, and, and that could be because we're seeing home prices come up a little bit, which is good for flippers uh, in terms of their resale profit opportunities. And, and we've seen rental rates come down pretty dramatically. Uh, and so that, that could be squeezing some of the profit margins out in terms of the renter, um, the, the renter investors. But, but uh, the, the, the real curious paradox there is we're seeing more investors actually move into rental property investments uh, and fewer people doing flips. So there could be a difference between current market reality and, and what they're, they're hoping for in the future. But uh, even investors who have typically been fix and flip investors right now, uh, are, are buying properties, uh, fixing them up, and, and renting them out uh, because that it's a better opportunity for them short term, uh, while while the, the the market is adjusting to the new pricing realities. Right, right. Well, at the end of the day, I think a lot of investors know whether they're their mom and pop, whatever you know, whatever the case is, they know housing's a good investment. Right, yeah. they're trying to acquire it over time. They're, they're playing a yeah, different and, game. and that's that's critical. And you, you mentioned mom and pop investors. Uh, another opportunity for your your agents. Um, investors make up about 26, 27 percent of all residential home purchases right now. Uh, and and people think of, of Blackstone and American Homes for Rent and you know Invitation Homes and these big institutional investors. That group collectively uh, holds about three percent of the single family rental stock. Uh, over 90% are, are owned by mom and pop investors who own less than 10. Yeah. Uh, and those are people who work the local markets uh, who have some cash uh, and, 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 and typically aren't as constrained by financing costs as you might expect because, they again, they're, they're bringing cash to play from some of their other properties to, to, to buy uh, to buy new new assets. So there, there are a lot of opportunities out there to work with investors. Uh, they become good repeat customers. Right. You're, they're not the same to work with as consumer buyers by, by any means. Uh, but for agents who learn how to work with investors, it's, it's, it's actually a pretty good time in the market right now. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I think the couple things that I, I want to say about that First of all, I appreciate you pointing that out as an opportunity going into next year. Like, who are the investors you're working with, right? Um, yeah. But the other opportunity that I, it's already happening. There is a talking point in this country that um, private equity firms and Wall Street's buying up all the homes, right? And we've been a vocal mouthpiece to say that's not the case. In right. they're, they're buying, but it's not the overwhelming majority like what you've said. It, when you start to look at that, and certainly I would anticipate going into an election cycle, that will be a talking point in housing, right? You've got to stop the investors. How do we as agents, I, I think paying attention to that, staying on top of it, being vocal about it, about what, what is happening in your market um, is, is going to be critical going into next year You know, to, to be the mouthpiece for that. So I appreciate you bringing it up. I don't know if there's any other perspective you've had or if you if you see that being a point that gets people fired up you know in today's world there, there is there is a false narrative that um institutional investors that wall street is gobbling up main street that these institutions are competing with first-time buyers and and other consumers for properties and and it's it's just not true. What what? In, in fact, the institutional investors have slowed their purchase activity this year, 
they're kind of keeping their powder dry right now. Uh, and in, in many cases, they're diverting their money into new construction. So rather than compete with with a home buyer uh, who's going to you know jack up the price of the property they want to buy and rent, they're working with a builder to build a whole community of single family rental properties. And this build the rent type communities. Yeah, right. and and if I were an inv- I'd probably be spending my money there if I were an institutional investor because you have much more control of pricing of of quality of of assets. You can build these things so that they're easier to maintain. They're they're all contiguous to each other yeah. geographically, yeah. so it makes a lot of sense. But but I I, I do think you know agents and 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 other uh, real estate professionals can be advocates for the real investors for those those mom and pop people that are out there that are that are you know. Uh, that are really providing either inventory if they're fix and flippers uh, or providing rental properties for people that, that either don't want to buy right. or, or can't afford to buy. And I think that's, that's a really important consideration. The other opportunity I, I'd point out, by the way, for, for agents is there are a lot of accidental investors in the marketplace today. Um, whether they were people that um, couldn't sell a property, didn't want to didn't want to get rid of that that low rate mortgage on a property, decided they're going to be an Airbnb real estate tycoon. Um, a lot of those people might be looking for a way out right now. Right. Uh, right. And and again, talking to your local title agent or or digging into some some public record data yourself, you can probably find people that own more than one property uh, and in, in your local markets. Yeah. And and they might be good people to approach to to see if you know, maybe that Airbnb plan didn't work out quite as well as they expected. Yeah. The, the idea of the accidental investor, that's not going away, right? There's going no. to be a lot of those in the coming years, given the interest rate environment scenario that we've talked about. 70% you talked about of, uh, of homes with a preferable great interest rate. They're going to say, we're not going to sell it. We're going to keep it. We're now going to be a landlord up, oh, go down the road. I don't want to be a landlord. Um, and then staying in touch with those folks, I think is, is, is a big point. It's a, it's a, it's a combination of factors, Dave, the, the, the mortgage rate is the most obvious one. You're absolutely right. The other is the equity we talked yeah. about. So more than, more than 50% of, of households with a mortgage, um, are, are equity rich, right. which means the, the house is worth at least twice what they owe on the mortgage. So think about that. You want to talk about an accidental investor. You have somebody who can maintain a very low mortgage payment on, on the current property because of, of the, the rate they have, but tap into the equity to go buy another property uh, where, where they're going to live. So it's, it's that very unique uh, confluence of, of factors that that's, you know, created a lot of these, um, is you know want to be real estate tycoons? Yeah, I hear that. I appreciate you sharing that because it's it's such a it's a nuance of the market that I think spending time on as an agent, as a lender, is is in the title business, understanding it, putting content out there, being educated on it, and and uh, you're you're one of the best, Rick, to to do that. Let's talk. Uh, you know, in in the next few minutes that we have before we wrap up, just about the rising cost environment. You know, affordability is an issue, and and we've talked extensively about that relative to you know, wages and mortgage rates and home prices, but you also bring in perspective on just the rising cost to buy a home. Can, can you talk just a little bit and give people perspective on what what's happening in, in home buying right now? Yeah, I mean, the, the financial responsibility of home ownership has probably never been higher. Um, and and that goes for any anything from repair costs, which 
I saw a recent report from a company called Verisk that showed that uh, on a quarter over quarter basis, the cost of repairs in a house went up by almost 2% compared to a year ago, they're up almost 7%. And if you look at them over the last decade, they're up by 64%. So we saw a huge spike uh, during and right after the, the pandemic. So repair costs are up, but but more than that, um, insurance costs, particularly if you're in, in, in states like California, Florida, and Texas, where there's been a lot of, uh, or Louisiana, Alabama, right. where there's been a lot of natural disasters, we're seeing people with their insurance premiums double or triple, or they can't get insurance at all. So, so now one of the things an agent has to worry about is, you know, can not only can their buyer afford the principal and interest uh, on the mortgage for a property, but are they going to be able to layer on top of that the cost of of their insurance premiums? Uh, are they going to be able to get insurance, which is a, a you know a mandatory thing to have if you're going to have a mortgage? And then because property values have gone up so much over the last few years. Property taxes are going up, uh, and and not every market raises its assessments every year. So if, if you're in a market like Tennessee, I believe they only reassess the properties every four years. So you could have had four years of home price appreciation uh, built into your, your next tax bill, right. which is going to be sticker shock for a lot of people. So you, you factor in inflation, higher home costs, higher mortgage rates, higher insurance costs, higher tax bills, higher repair costs affordability becomes more and more of a challenge for for your average everyday home buyer or homeowner. Yeah, yeah. What what is your outlook for the future for for affordability? We certainly you know is the fact uh, let's let's hope rates have peaked and it certainly seems the case going into next year that bodes well for affordability, right? Um less uh aggressive and you know higher uh Home price appreciation, you know, if we, if we appreciate, you know, in a more normal, that, that bodes well for affordability. Rising wages bode well for affordability. My outlook is that that as we look into the future, it those are all good things. I'm interested in your perspective uh, on that. Topic. Yeah, 2023, according to every economist I follow, was the least affordable year for housing in history. Mm. Um, 2024 probably won't feel a whole lot better, but... You've, you've basically stolen my thunder, Dave. The, the three <laughs> legs of the affordability stool are finance costs, home prices, and wages. And, and people tend to forget wages. Wage growth has actually been pretty solid for the last few years. At, at, now, a, was, at a higher clip than the past. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, it, it was eclipsed by inflation, mm-hmm. which, you know, you, you suddenly your wages are up 6%, which is, you know, very, very high, but inflation's at 9 So you're you're still behind the eight ball. I, I think the most recent wage growth numbers I've seen were about 4% on a year-over-year basis, which is higher than inflation now. That's a good thing. So I think over time, and we talked about time being a, a major component before, if you have the combination of mortgage rates ticking back down a little bit, of home price appreciation slowing down, and in some markets actually declining a little bit, uh, and wage growth continue to be good, over over a period of time, that makes affordability feel a bit better. Yeah. And 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 I think uh, I, I think that's the most likely way this this affordability uh, scenario plays out, rather than. Uh, we see something off the charts again that that makes mortgage rates drop by a hundred percent, or or home prices crater by by thirty percent. Um, so I, I I do think over time affordability gets better. And and the other thing you know candidly is it it might just take people a little bit longer to get into the market in the first place. Uh, they'll, yeah, they'll need right. a little bit more time to save and and put that that decent down payment together. Yeah, 
No, that makes sense. I, I, I think you broke it down very well. Um, and, and for everybody listening, you can listen to what I say. You can listen to what Rick says. And, I, and I'm going to say you, you may say, I have a different opinion. The point of it is have an opinion, have a perspective, and certainly have it based upon fact and have it based upon reality and what you see and then what you believe to, to come in the future. But I think that's the difference maker right now in giving advice, Rick, is understanding the, the environment, understanding what's going on. I mean, you dropped so many pieces of information today and, and, and knowledge. I'm going to have to go back and listen um, to write them all down. But but having that is the difference maker going into uh, into 2024. It's, it's It's been that, but I think it's going to be even more pronounced going into next year, being that advisor, you know. You know, agents that I've talked to across the country have expressed a lot of confusion and concern about where the market's going. And fear. And these are real, and these, yeah. these are real estate professionals. So imagine as an agent, uh, if, if you're confused, uh, what, what's going on in that consumer's mind? Uh, and and the, the value that agents can bring, the brokers can bring to, the, to their, their customers today is, is some of this data, some of this knowledge. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to have all the answers, but you at least have to have enough facts that you can help them ascertain what direction they want to move. Yeah, in. right. Talking to, talking to somebody yesterday who said, what do you think about the date, the rate, and marry the home, uh, you know, saying, and I said, sounds great on paper, yeah. but I would advise, I would advise caution to anybody who's buying a home counting on rates to come down. Right. I feel uh, the same you, way, you know, right? Buy what you yeah, can afford. Buy a house because you can afford it because you right. like it. And if, if rates go down, that's a cherry on the Sunday, yeah. right? but that's not the Sunday. Well, I, I think you bring up a good point and, I, I want to say this, Rick, the, the work that we do at KCM and ultimately agents getting it out in the market, bringing value to their client, as, as you said, we can only do that in part by the great work that you do and you've done. So here from me, we're grateful for it because what we try to do is just is, is take what you're doing and some of the great work that you publish and amplify it and kind of shout from the, the mountaintops, go, hey, Look at what Rick just said, and this this is what we need to get in the hands of buyers and sellers right now, or folks that are asking the questions. So from from us, hear it from me. We're grateful for that, and thank you for your dedication to bringing all that to great agents, loan officers, anybody in the housing uh, market that's looking to get that information, get it out. We're grateful for it. I appreciate the kind words, Dave, and it makes me makes me that much more enthused about you know uh, doing more and more of it as 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 we go forward. I hear you. Well, we're excited to do that. And listen, I, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We've got to do it again. That's the one thing I'm going to ask you for, even on the spot here. <laughs> We've got to do it again. I enjoyed. I, I'd be delighted, Dave. It was a pleasure and uh, look forward to the next one. That was an awesome conversation with Rick. I thoroughly enjoyed it and meant what I said at the end there. I want to have Rick back on because he's such a wealth of knowledge. He's got the information. And I think in today's market, having the information, then communicating it to our clients is what we have to do. You know, keeping current matters, we believe every family should feel confident when buying and selling a home. And that is our goal with conversations like this it's the goal with the podcast is to bring you into those conversations so here's what i want you to do if you like this episode uh, please like it and subscribe and share it with somebody that you know that could benefit from it as well and we'll see you next week